well, this is the truth. It's just the truth. You know, um, we live once. If this can, if this can help people, I, I just thought, well, it can't be a bad thing. When you think of the words honest and inspiring, well, Talitha Cummins pretty much fits the bill. As a television journalist, she became a well-known figure in lounge rooms right across Australia, reading the news on Sunrise and for the Seven Network. Good evening. Police say they know who they're looking for after a man... But behind the scenes, Talitha was fighting a secret battle with alcohol addiction, stemming from a lack of confidence and self-worth that began when she was a child. You know, there was a lot of time when I felt um, unsure of what I was doing and I, I just didn't disclose that. I didn't ask anyone for help because I thought that would show weakness. In this intimate and beautiful conversation, Talitha shares the power of speaking your truth. So I'm coming up to nine years sober in September this year. This is an episode for anyone needing a dose of bravery to conquer their own demons, who has a yearning to reinvent their life or find the confidence to forge a new path. I'm Katrina Blowers, and this is Claiming Your Confidence. Talitha, I feel like even though we've never actually worked together, you know, like extensively, everyone I know knows you and I feel like I know you because everyone always talks to me about how great you are. So it's so lovely to be having this chat. And it's so nice to talk to you as well. Like I, I always go back to, well, when I can get there, back to Queensland, and I love going and watching the news there, and you're doing such a great job on the weekends. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Really, so really I guess good. people probably want to know, we've got, you know, for people who are watching um, the video of this, you've got this fabulous gym that you and your husband own together in the background. That's where you are right now. Um, what does a week look like for you? What do you, what do, you do with yourself? during the week you're a mum of two young children but but now you're sort of doing more and more of of the fitness stuff in the gym yes so this is my husband's gym he's had it for seven or eight years um and I do all of the communication stuff for for this place so I do all the socials um bit of marketing and newsletters and things like that uh, but I'm I'm mainly a stay-at-home mum however I do some media training here and there and lots of little bits and pieces. So it's kind of just, you know, taking it on the fly and doing what I can, really. But yeah. I'm starting to, um, I'm training to become a spin teacher or a cycle teacher. That's, that's my newest thing <laughs> because life's not busy enough. Did you ever think that that would be in your future? Oh, my gosh, no, absolutely not. I used to hate exercising and now I'm at the gym every day and if I don't train, I I feel horrendous. So I owe a lot to exercise. So I'm trying to kind of give back in a way. That is so amazing. Yes. So it's it's um it's exciting. Everyone, I guess, kind of knows you um from being you know quite a well known TV presenter on the news. Uh, do you miss that? There are elements that I I do miss. Like I I really miss knowing everything that's going on and right at that exact time. So 
I'm still a bit of an ambulance chaser at heart. We, you know, when I see a police or ambulance, or I, I kind of feel like I have to know what's going on, and I, I miss that breaking news element. I guess. Yeah. Um, do I miss sitting in the gutters, camping out, and waiting for interviews hours on end? Possibly not. Um, but I, and I also miss being with the like the cameraman when it was you and your cameraman out on the road for a day and you're meeting lots of different people and you're chasing lots of different things. It's like a really interesting kind of life, you know. I feel sometimes I feel a little bit boring now. <laughs> yeah. I got to I got to agree whenever I'm on holidays and something really big happens I'm like well first of all how dare that thing happen while I'm on holidays <laughs> while you're away <laughs> That's <Absolutely>. right <laughs> And also then I'm you know to the great frustration of whoever I'm with I'm doing a deep dive on Google because I must know every single thing about that thing because that's what I'm used to I'm used to knowing whatever information is out there first <laughs> That's right the detail and every little part of it I know. So I still, I um, like, well, as you know, most journos camp out on Twitter. Um, so I'm still pretty well addicted to Twitter above any social media app, I'd say, because you can get, you know, the finer bits of the gossip there. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, as I said before, um, so many people just have the highest opinion of you. I've obviously also watched and loved watching you on television. Aww. So it really surprised me to learn that for you, confidence was something that you've had to work really, really hard at. And as a child, you felt quite, quite crippled by the shame of, of not feeling like you were enough. Um, mm. Where do you think you, 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 I mean, you've had an Australian story done about you and you talked a little bit about that, that time when your parents were divorced and you kind of felt like you had to hold it all together. Was that when you first became quite aware of that feeling? Um, I, I think so. I feel like I was I was, I don't know, I just feel like I was born that way, you know, and I didn't even realise that I lacked confidence until I started in television and I was confronted with all of these things that I had to do and and um, and sort of in my late teenage years I read a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, um, which is, I mean, it's, don't bother reading it, it's all in the title, but it's, um, <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, right, so some people actually fake things or some people actually have to you know pretend to to feel the confidence and and portray it that way which is kind of what I did at the beginning of my career and for a lot of my career really because I was never that person or that broadcaster who could just stand there and talk for you know minutes on end um I was self-conscious uh, and and right to the end, I think I there wasn't a time when I went on camera that I felt, oh yeah, I've completely got this and I own this. And you know, there was always some trepidation and some, you know, I don't know about you, but when you get the the ten second countdown to okay, we're on air in ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and it's sort of like sometimes I just think, oh my god, blast off, you know, this is this is so intimidating, but. I persevered and I did that for 16 years um, in the industry. But I look back now and, and I don't have regrets about anything in my life, but I do wish that I had have 
had the ability to back myself because mm. I think what I portrayed and what I felt inside were two vastly different things. And to the point where when I came out in Australian Story and, and, and said that, people were so surprised by it. So I just wish someone had tapped that young lady on the shoulder and just said, you know, you've got this. And perhaps if I had have disclosed to people, you know, there was a lot of time when I felt um, unsure of what I was doing and I, I just didn't disclose that. I didn't ask anyone for help because I thought that would show weakness. Yeah. So no regrets, but I think, you know, some pointers for anyone who's who's feeling the same. And, you know, honestly, that's the whole purpose of me creating this podcast is because when I had my panic attack on air, what, four, four and a half years ago now, and I started opening up about feeling anxious, feeling that all of those feelings, you know, when you get the countdown in your ear and just wanting to bolt out of the studio, but still (laughs) needing to show up to this job that I loved. I still loved the job. When I started having those conversations with people, it really surprised me to learn how many people were faking it. And I just thought, gosh, if everyone knew, we're all just walking around with this inner critic, we're all just doing our best, then maybe it could help other people too. Absolutely, and I think that's such a wonderful thing that you're doing with your podcast and being open enough to to be on air and disclose that you've gone through something like that. You know, people see Mm. the polished newsreader and you've sat in your makeup chair for an hour or an hour and a half, like me, Um, and and they just think that that's that's perfection and you just turn up like that and and you're polished and, and... You've got it all together, but it's it's often not the case. And and you're right. Like it's there are so many people that I speak to, especially coming out with my Australian story and showing my vulnerability around drinking. I, I was just contacted by hundreds of people, um, you know, saying the same thing that they lacked confidence, that they drank to to help themselves feel better. Yeah. Um, and that they were portraying an image that wasn't necessarily congruent with with how they were feeling inside. You've spoken about that. I listened to a TED talk that you did where you um, went back in time to that first moment that you had, um, I think it was three cans of vodka and vodka cruiser or something like that when you were 14. And you said it was like you became the best version of the best version of yourself. And I would imagine that would have just ignited something in you and I, it's, it's easy to see how that then went on to become a real thing for you. Mm, absolutely, yeah. I, I just thought, you know, that really resonated with that 13 or 14-year-old girl. Um, it was kind of like the sky lit up, the world lit up for me and I thought, well, this makes me who I can be. So then I, I, I spent most of my time you know, drinking and trying to get back that feeling um, until I couldn't not have that feeling to operate in, you know, in social settings or after work or outside of work. Um, I couldn't be, you know, that proper person until I, until I drank. 
Yeah. Well, one of the things um, that, that resonated with me was you said that when you moved from Brisbane to Sydney, you had real hopes that like the change of environment would mean yeah. that you could just, you know, give up the drinking and that it would all sort of magically fix itself. And it's kind of like that that saying, wherever you go, there you are. And I would imagine too that in many ways, that high pressure environment of the Sydney newsroom, which is a bit more fast paced than Brisbane. Been. Um, I mean, I know, and we, I've spoken to my colleagues about this, we have our deadline at six o'clock at night. So it's at the pointy end of the day. And that's where all of our stress and anxiety really ramps up. And then you come home and you kind of need, you feel like you need like a real circuit breaker to just come back to normal again and interact mm. with the people in your household. And for me, I used to often pour myself a glass of wine because it was like a relief as soon as I walked in the door and and it was the same for you except in your case it kind of got up to like four bottles at one stage didn't it yeah it was uh, yeah because as humans we adapt and and um uh alcoholism is a progressive illness so you're you know where you could previously drink a bottle a night you bottle and a half and it, and it starts to creep up so the amounts that you need to numb yourself become higher and higher um but yes as you said moving to a different state you know it's it's in AA it's called doing a geographical um when you think oh right okay I'm going to move to Melbourne now because that will sort everything out um and or I'm going to move to Sydney and so of course I thought that moving to Sydney would would change everything but then I got here and I was starting work I think in a week and a half a week and a half away and I was extremely nervous about going into the Sydney newsroom even though the you know the news director and everyone had made me feel very comfortable um it was terrifying um coming to the the big smoke um and I remember that first weekend I had a really big um weekend and I just felt horrendous afterwards and so the idea of me coming here and you know being sort of straight-laced and stopping drinking was was kind of off to a bad start right from the start. I imagine in many ways where you're at right now and reflecting on that life, it must almost feel like two different people in a way. Oh, yeah, it is. It, 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 it is. It's like, it was such an incredible career, 16 years, and I got to do so many amazing things and meet so many incredible people and there's some amazing journalists and operators and I, I am armed with this, this set of particular skills which are, are useful for for some things and and for a lot of things actually I've found um but it, it's just like it was it, at the same time it was also the most terrifying time of my life you know um even now if I have to MC an event or if I have to um or if I'm doing media training you know I, I really over prepare and I really um and prepare what I'm going to say because I still get anxious having to perform yeah. for people. And for me, it's like a performance. It's not, it doesn't come naturally. Like you look at someone like Bruce McAvaney who could talk underwater and he, he's an incredible broadcaster and um, I, I'm just not that person. But now that I've accepted that, that's fine, you know, and, and it makes me feel more comfortable yeah. about it. But I, I also think that comes with age. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think too, it's about learning to live with that feeling of discomfort and yes. thinking to yourself, well, this, this, sorry, can you hear my cat? He's deaf and he that. has the loudest <laughs> meow. <laughs> and my daughter's, because my daughter's on school holiday, so she's just left the house and he's meowing at the door. I think I'm going to have to let him out. Can you hold on for 10 sure, seconds? Sure, sure, I'll hold. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh he's like an old man who like he just shouts um yeah what I was gonna say was that I've had to learn that uh, like I actually love the job that I do but I am prone to overthinking and getting anxious and it's because I want to do the best possible job and I really want people to get value from what I'm doing so mm. I've had to kind of accept that with that comes that feeling of discomfort and and often that sort of tightness of the chest, that precursor to anxiety. And it's just something I have to live with now. It doesn't mean that I'm on the wrong path or that it's, you know, a bad thing. It just is part of the process. Absolutely. And it's it's once you accept that it does actually become easier, I think. You know, not 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 easy, but it, it becomes I don't know, things start to fall in place a little better. Mm. You're listening to Claiming Your Confidence with me, Katrina Blowers, and the gorgeous Talitha Cummins. Stick around because Talitha is about to share how to have tough conversations and back yourself. I'd love to go back to, um, first of all, uh, I was reading that even at the absolute height of your drinking, you would get up the next morning, go for a run and mm. then show up with your game face on. Oh um, it was that was that sort of part of your thing of like, okay, I'm going to compartmentalise this and I'm still going to be this super professional person at work. That's completely what it was about. And if I, if I got up, doesn't matter what time I went to bed, but if I got up and I went for that 45-minute run and I got home, had a shower, blow-dried my hair, or, you know, if I was going in to read the news, my, my hair and makeup was done, then I was fine. And I got there and everything was okay. And, but it wasn't until that started, that facade started to shatter. So I, I think I was away or I was, I, I was sick for three days in a row and I just didn't turn up to work. And um, it wasn't until my incredible chief of staff at the time just sort of sat me down and said, you're not okay, are you? So, you know, that whole world that I created that everything, you know, um, idea that I'd created that everything was okay if I kept maintaining this, everyone else knew what was going on. And it was just that I was in denial about it. And until then, really, it was almost a relief uh, when I was, when she sat me down because I didn't have to put up this face, this brave face or, or play this game anymore because it was getting so tiring and so difficult to, to maintain. 
When you eventually did decide after that conversation with your chief of staff to go to an AA meeting, I would imagine that would have been terrifying because you had a public profile. Um, mm. You probably didn't know what on earth you were going to walk into. Um, that is incredibly courageous and brave. What was that moment like walking into that room and did it kind of flip on its head a little for you, the kinds of people, I'm putting this in inverted commas, mm. that go to AA meetings? Yeah. Um, so I I had already tried to go, you know, tried to stop drinking a number of times Um Prior to that moment, however, when I walked, and I'd been to AA a couple of times, um, but it didn't quite resonate with me. But that night when I went after the the meeting with my chief of staff, I was so exhausted and so ready to surrender to the process that I was, I went there with open arms and willing and like, it's, it's one of the, and, and I, it's, it's frowned upon to, um, to to speak about AA because it, it's based on attraction rather than promotion. But I also feel that if I'm not telling people about how I became sober, then what's the point of me talking? So I all I'd say is that I, it's it's full of people who are honest, self-aware, can stand up and talk about how they're feeling, why they're feeling that, and um and people who are willing to give you their numbers to to help you. I just think it's the most incredible bunch of human beings in every room that I walk into, like, and I'm so lucky to have that program. That's amazing. I stopped for a while, but now I'm I'm sort of back there because I think it's the best self help program the world has created. Yeah. Wow. So, how often do you go? Um, I still go weekly. Wow. So every Wednesday is my my ritual and I sort of walk in there and it's not because I want to drink anymore, but it's because I, um, I don't know, it's just addressing little issues that come up and hearing the stories of other people both humbles you and reminds you of, of where you could go as well. Mm. So I just think it's, uh, for me, it's like an insurance policy. And, and I think that, um, so I'm coming up to nine years sober in, September this year I think it's really important thank you thank you but I think it's important for me to give back to to others as well yeah definitely um it's just become a, a, a part of my weekly routine now you were saying before about the facade starting to crack and you know your chief of staff noticed after you hadn't shown up to work for a couple of days um were there any other moments that at you know at parties or where you were out where people kind of went oh Talitha's probably drinking more than us or were you able were you like quite functional oh no there's definitely it was definitely um, like that, but that was the stage before it got really bad because near the end, I would stay at home and isolate and drink by myself. So right. the precursor to that was me being carried out of parties and me being, um, you know, I fell asleep in the street a couple of times, woke up in the street, um, all those sorts of things. But then near the end, because I knew that when I'd have a drink, I didn't know how I would react or where it would end, I would stay in the safety of my house and and drink in that way. And that's that's when it gets really dangerous because you're by yourself and you're you're isolated and your whole world starts to become pretty small. 
Yeah, I, I read that you um, came across Chris Rain from Hello Sunday Morning, and yes. it just kind of you know like whether you're into spiritual woo woo stuff or whatever, or you know that lovely saying that um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and he seemed to show up at a time in your life where you just needed a bit of a beacon of hope that somebody else, young, successful, articulate. Um, not not sort of the the I guess the cliche of of an alcoholic or, or what used to be I suppose um, appeared before you and showed you that it was possible and you ended up doing a story with him and that's when the seed was planted. That's right. Yeah, I just remember meeting him for that first time and just being so transfixed on this story. And he he was saying to me, really, Talisa, there's not much to tell right now I was like no no we've got to do a story on this and and it was the first time that I sort of thought oh my god because he was telling me about a year without drinking and I just I had never contemplated not drinking you know I thought it was just going to be my thing for the rest of my life it was part of me um so that was a pretty incredible moment when I met him and um I, I still drank for another couple of years after that but the seed was planted in my head you know and it, it was it was it was always there and I always thought well, maybe this is a possibility so and, and that's my advice for people who have friends or loved ones who might be caught up in a bad drinking cycle you can have conversations with them and there are things that might sit with them and even though it doesn't resonate with them immediately, they can you can plant a seed in their minds, and it, it, eventually it might help them. So um, that was a that was a really incredible moment for me. I was lucky. So was it that blog post that was your initial sort of coming out to the world? Was it was it that particular blog post on Hello Sunday Morning? Yeah, well, it was an it was an accidental blog post <laughs> because it copied to my Facebook page. Oh, and my Facebook page had always been open; like I'd never really had any major privacy settings. I didn't put anything too personal on there, and it copied to my page. And then Chris rang me a few hours later and said, "Talitha, do you know that this is copied to your page? Are you aware of of like the ramifications?" And then I looked at my Facebook that night and it had blown up and I thought oh well it's there now and then I remember the Sunday Telegraph reporter had messaged me a couple of hours after that and I just thought oh god and and it was kind of it was out. Yeah and it was actually huge because I think you were a real pioneer for you know debunking a lot of myths and um and a lot of shame around this stuff and you were prepared I remember at the time just thinking my gosh you are just doing so much trailblazing in this space but also where did you get the courage from to do that or was it the fact that it just kind of happened (laughs) and it became a snowball and maybe if you had thought about it beforehand you might not have gone ahead. (laughs) Look I've always been a very honest person Um, however I think a combination of the snowball effect and me just thinking well, this is the truth. It's just the truth, you know. Um, we live once. If this can, if this can help people, as it was, you know, people were saying on the on Facebook and responding, saying, "Wow, this is 
this is helping me or this can help me. I, I just thought, well, it can't be a bad thing. And I have no regrets, no regrets now. I have at times throughout my life, but, but um, yeah, since then, but, uh, but I don't now. Yeah, well, I'm really happy to hear that because also so many opportunities have unfolded for you to not just um, speak to different audiences about your experience, but for advocacy work too that I imagine that you never thought would have been possible. For sure, absolutely. I've done a lot of speaking. I've done, um, you know, I was writing a book at one stage, but I decided against that. Um, I, I just... I have got a like this little um, good messages folder in my um, in my phone, and whenever I get a, a new message from someone who speaks positively about my my story and how I've helped them, I put it in there. And there's probably about 300 stories in there that of people saying that you have saved my life. You have actually woken me up and stopped me from doing what I was doing you made me think that you know realize that it was possible to get help um and that's it's pretty freaking amazing really like if that if that's my life's work then kick I've, I've I've done it you know like it and and it wasn't it was just through me sharing a story I think that is so beautiful and you also met your partner about three months or so into your sober journey I did yes um so you know he's he's never seen me drink um and it got to uh, I think about a third or fourth date and and he was having a beer and and I said look you know I I don't drink and um told him the story and he was fine with it and for a stage he stopped drinking as well in support um he still drinks now but I, I'm at the stage where it doesn't bother me we have people over and we have dinner parties and and I pour wine you know it's not it's not something that concerns yeah. me anymore but I know that if I if I have one drink it leads me back down that awful path which I just don't want to go to you know there have been times over the years where I've um you know contemplated it or I've been going through difficult times and um I just think that's that's sort of why I'm with AA and that's why I'm, you know, I have a circle of friends who support me and um, I think that's really important. Because I think for many people getting that Dutch courage from alcohol for things like a first date or going to a party where you don't know anyone or, you know, even I know people who, who have a glass of wine before they go and speak on stage. It's, it is that, as I said, that Dutch courage. So for you, how did you how did you initially where did you go to in your head to get that courage that was once given to you by drinking yeah it's yeah it's it's um it's terrifying all of those firsts were terrifying you know walking back into a pub um going to a party going to a ball speaking um but it was like we were talking about before you just have to accept that that feeling you're going to feel like that for for a while you know and you and yes it's difficult but what's the what's the alternative you know and my and the pain that I was feeling and the horrendous shame that I would feel every morning was was so awful that I just don't couldn't contemplate going back there so and it's just it's with time you know you you have your first party and then you have your first dinner party and and all of those things and, and you become used to it to the point now where I just 
I don't even notice that people are drinking. It's just a thing. Yeah. And how do you now deal? How, how do you now deal with stress? Because um, you know, as I mentioned before, um, for me, at the end of some work days, I still feel like, I, oh God, I just need a glass yeah. of wine. <laughs> so what what did you yeah, do so, instead? I mean, yeah, so do I. <laughs> um, especially with two kids, at the end of the day, I would, you know, sometimes I think, <laughs> oh my god. Um, I sometimes I just say to my husband putting the kids to bed and I'm going for a walk or and I go for a walk and do a podcast exercise has been my savior like I I I can do overcome anything with exercise you know it really obviously it increases the the endorphins and um, it just brings me it levels me and it brings me back talking to a group of friends talking to supportive friends I've got friends who I can um, be so open with and they can be so open with me, you know, um, and I think that's really important as well. Like there's my, my friendships have a lot of depth uh, and that's been a saviour as well. Mm, that's really beautiful. So um, we're coming to the end of our time together, but I do have a couple of quick questions that I finish okay. up on. The first one would be, and I think let's frame it in the context of speaking your truth, whether it be um, about alcoholism or anything that I guess people in their life feel like they're not living in their integrity or living in their truth and they need the confidence to speak up or say what they need to say to a loved one or just step into the light what would be your number one confidence tip for doing that look I I just think in in terms of confidence you've got to back yourself and you know in your gut what is right and if there's someone you know if there's a conversation that needs to be had take a deep breath and do it if you need to practice it or flesh it out do it with a friend or with a psychologist we only live once, you know, and I think if we're holding back, we're not being our true selves. Back yourself, just absolutely back yourself. I wish I had that, you know, was given that tip when I was really young. But just, and you'll have times where you, where that confidence wavers and you, you question what you're doing and question yourself, but you've just got to really back yourself, I think. And and I guess for you as as well, having gone through it, for people who are kind of worried about um, speaking their truth or or living in integrity because they're really worried about what other people will think and they're worried mm. about all the critics, um, yeah. you would have ridden a bit of a storm when you initially um, came out. Um, yeah. How would you how, how would you best advise people on navigating that? Um. I've got a key ring that says never read the comments. Yeah. Um, but I just think if someone's going to say something nasty about you, then it says more about them than about you. I've learned to take criticism pretty well. Um, and I think, and, and I, I sort of try to look at it and think, oh, is there any, is there any merit in that comment? And sometimes there is. Um, most of the time there's not, and it's just keyboard warriors out there, you know. But I just think I've got my group of friends and I've got the people who I love. Um, I know that I have my integrity and I know how I operate as a person. And if I'm comfortable with that, then it really doesn't matter what anyone else says. Yeah, I love that too. Um, is there a book that you've read or an inspirational quote that you particularly love that's helped you on your way? Oh. Not feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> We've already ascertained that's a waste of time. <laughs> I feel terrible for that author now. 
Um, uh, the Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. Oh. Uh, it's obviously a, a bit of a spiritual read, but he makes some really valid points, just simple things about kindness and, and living. And, um, I yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed that book. Oh, that's beautiful. That's on my list. I haven't read that yet. Um, and finally, I guess, you know, as we as we mentioned before, like confidence isn't just ticking a box and you're done. Um, what are you working on right now in your own confidence journey to get you to where you next want to be in life? Well, as I mentioned at the start, I'm, I'm just starting to do become a, like a, a spin teacher, so a cycling teacher, group cycle. Um, and I just, I remember... Uh, what's that? I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, "Do something that scares you every day." Um, well, and I thought, I've just had two children. I'm a stay-at-home mum. I do a little bits and work pieces here and there, and I just wanted to do something that terrifies me for a bit. And this actually really terrifies me because fitness isn't, you know. And I never thought I'd become an, a fitness instructor, um, but I like the idea of pushing myself again. You know, I'm ready. I feel like I'm ready for that and and I feel like I'll grow and that excites me. Well, I'm so excited for you for this next stage of your life and they're certainly very lucky to have you and I'm also so grateful to you for carving out the time in amongst all the things that you do to have this chat with me today and it's, I think, going to help even more people. So thank you, Talitha. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio thanks to Term 6 podcast productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.